0: So what we're going to be launching into today is the beginnings of kind of an emphasis over the next number of weeks on Jesus. And uh, there's in times past, there's been something, and I don't want to sound critical or um, disrespectful in any kind of way, but there's this kind of thing that came out of Christianity, I don't know, around the time that I became a Christian, late 90s kind of thing, and it was WWJD. Anybody ever ever heard of that? What would Jesus do? And I remember there were guys on my, uh, on my campus that would walk around with a bracelet, and it was like their daily reminder that before they do something, they need to ask this most important question, what would Jesus do before I make that decision and do that thing? And um, actually, I believe that's a little bit of a wrong way of looking at it. We're not actually trying to mimic Jesus. Um, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't even know how to mimic Jesus, actually. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would lay hands and do a miracle. Okay, well, you know, like, how do you do that? So I don't even understand that. But I am interested in being Jesus living through me and me just stepping out of the way and allowing him to lead me and do what he wants to do in my life. That's, that's most attractive and thoroughly biblical. Now, what we're going to be doing over the next number of weeks is looking at, can I, can I say maybe it this way, and we're not going to make any bracelets, uh, rest assured, but more, more look at it this way, WDJD, what did Jesus do? And the point being, what a person does speaks louder than their words in terms of who they actually are. You want to know who a person is, look at what they do. Not even what they say, although clearly what Jesus said is important, what did Jesus do as evidence of who he is. And I believe that at, at the tail end of us going through this over the next number of weeks, here is the result. A group of people here in this awesome city of Detroit seeing Jesus, <laughs> I know, seeing Jesus more clearly, seeing him more truly, things that perhaps and ideas of who he is being washed off of the slate of our hearts so that we see him more clearly and the end product is worship not just singing songs but worship in the sense of gladly and passionately yielding him our hearts and allowing him to be exactly who he is lord god king glorious lover of our soul how many of you would like that And so the first thing that Jesus did that we're going to look at, not the first thing necessarily that he did, but the first part of of, uh, what we're going to look at is the fact that when Jesus came, he came as the Son of Man. Jesus came as the Son of Man. It's kind of maybe a little bit of a stretch perhaps to say that's something he did, but it is something that he did. That when Jesus came into this earth, he came and identified himself as the Son of Man. In fact, Jesus is referenced 26 times in the Gospel of Luke alone as the Son of Man. And I'll read a couple of those to you right now. Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Luke 9, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. In that last context, in that last scripture, when it references the Son of Man, who do you suppose that he's referring to? Because he just references the Son of Man. Please feel free to to speak out loud. Thank you. Jill, awesome. Jesus, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So 84 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referenced as the Son of Man. And that is not without significance. And there is, see, oftentimes when we look at the scripture, we see things that just sound like this weird King James way of talking and we don't understand it. And maybe some theologian somewhere understands it and it's somewhere in a book that I'll never end up reading and we don't even get it. And I want to say to us tonight that the idea of Jesus coming into this as the son of man has huge Implication has huge import. There is a message that God wants to get us th- through to our hearts about who He is and how He is towards us, and the fact that He came as the Son of Man. And you may be wondering at this point, well, what is that point? What does it mean? And can I just reference this scripture, Matthew sixteen thirteen? Another reference where Jesus is references the Son of Man. In fact, He calls Himself the Son of Man, and He's in. The, he's walking to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and uh, he sits down with his disciples, and he, and he says, who do men say, Matthew 16, 13, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Which is kind of an interesting question, because he actually answered this question in his question. So it's like, <laughs> who do I, the son of man, say that I, am? okay. So he's asking, who do men say I, the son of man, am, and the reality, the, the response that he gets from his disciples, in fact, some of you could say, some, some say, the response was some say John the Baptist, others Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? But he wanted to emphasize the fact that he's the son of man. Now, the response that Peter would give him is that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But he identified himself, not as that, as the son of man, and that's part of what he wants to communicate to you and me, is that he's the son of man, which is to say this. Hear this. Jesus became fully human so that he can actually really help us in our fully human realities that we face day in and day out. He has not made himself as God so lofty that he doesn't, in a sense, stoop to the realities of what we deal with, but he made himself subject to everything that anyone in this room will ever encounter. And because of that, he has the ability to actually help us. Now, in this city, in 1967, in fact, next week, we will begin if you can say to commemorate the 50th anniversary of race riots that took place in the city of Detroit and historically there were many people who perhaps were not a part of those race riots namely white middle class living in Detroit who judged the people because of the what they deemed as irresponsible behavior judged those people and said look at the destruction that they've done look at this and that, those awful people. And I want to ask the question, do you think that any of them judging had ever really experienced what it was to be an African American in the city of Detroit in 1967? And maybe, let me ask the second question, if they did walk in those shoes, do you think they would have a different perspective, perhaps? I'm not condoning what happened with the riots. I think that there are massive ripple effects of a negative sort that have happened but the reality is we can't judge and in fact if you go down 50 years later down to today there are still people who would look at some people who are still living in inner city detroit and they show up to late to work late in some suburban context and and judging them, not even having a clue that there is no public transport that effectively gets them from the inner city to their job in the suburbs and don't actually understand what it is to be in that situation. Therefore, you can't judge and you certainly don't have really the ability to, to actually help that situation. It's kind of like what Jason was alluding to earlier. It's like, you know, we're not the answer. He is, we have him, we can help, but that's not what we're trying to do in that event that Jason alluded to my thing my question my 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 encouragement to us this this evening is this is that Jesus did not do that and let's take into consideration Jesus was seated was in the place of heaven and was fully god and Saul man willfully disobey god and And start this whole mess that we know of today the evil that exists in the world, the disobedience, the turning away from God, all of the ripple effect that had happened. And Jesus did not stand from his lofty position and say, Rightfully so, look at the wrong that you've done. Listen to me, I can help you. Could he have said that? He would have had full right to do that, but he didn't. He instead became fully man. Now I want that to settle into our hearts this this evening. He didn't become like man or kind of man version B, but kind of like God. He became fully man, so that it could be said that he hasn't experienced anything that we haven't gone through. And we'll we'll get in that in just a minute. So Jesus was tempted as a man. You guys following Luke chapter four. This is important, guys. And this is important because you and I face real issues as humans. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how spiritually mature you may be. You and I face real issues as human beings. And theologically speaking, until Jesus returns, you and I will continue to face real issues as a result of our corrupted, fallen nature. And it is important for me to know That as I face real issues, that there is one who is for me, who is not judging me, who has the power to help me, who has been where I've been, and I can turn to him without shame and receive that help. And I believe God actually has plans that are good for you and me, and he wants us to live in something of his victory as opposed to our defeat. So, Jesus was tempted as a man. We need to understand this. Can you read with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1? It says this, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 2, 40 days, listen to this, being tempted by the devil. Did you hear that? Jesus was tempted by the devil. We're going to kind of break that apart and how that's important for us. And in those days, he ate nothing, and they being ended, he afterward was hungry. First of all, let's, let's, uh, let's make sure that we're on the same page here. Temptation. When we say temptation, what are we actually talking about? It's, it's a luring away. It's something happening inside of our heart luring us away from God's highest and good will for us. In other words, what I'm trying to say is temptation is not uh, – we tend to think of it as a spiritual performance thing. And if I'm tempted, if I'm good, I, like, resist the temptation or I, whatever, choose the right over the wrong or whatever the case is. And, and, but, but we kind of look at temptation as this thing of, like, if we're truth be told, that's what I want to do. But, like, if I'm really spiritual, I'll choose to do the right thing over the wrong thing. You follow what I'm saying? And temptation, is, this is what temptation is. It is something designed by the enemy of our souls to appeal to us but ultimately lure us out of God's benevolent good will for us. That's all it is. And so when we look at it from that perspective, uh, I think we're going we're gonna to see what we're talking about a little bit more clearly. Let me, let me just name some possible temptations to kind of bring this home. Uh, for us this evening. Possible temptations that you and I may encounter, and uh, here are this list of words, and you can see if any of these possibly apply to you, but I want to encourage you to consider what are some areas where you are lured away uh, by trickery, by whatever, that weak spot where you're lured away uh, into, from God's highest because God wants to help you. Jesus wants to and can help you in that place. So one would be unforgiveness, holding on, harboring unforgiveness towards somebody who has wronged you or you think has wronged you. Another would be holding on to control from God. I would imagine most of us deal at some level with that. Do you think holding on to control for God, from God, yielding to that leads us into God's benevolent and best will for us? The way into God's will is to release control and let him have his way. Another would be allowing feelings to dictate the way we treat other people. Another one would be our insecurities, which can do all sorts of weird stuff in our heads as far as how we perceive what somebody said to us or what this situation means and that kind of thing. Another would be anger. Another one, self-centeredness. In other words, prioritizing your wants over others. Another temptation would be thinking too lowly of yourself. Do you, have you ever encountered that or know somebody who thinks too lowly of themselves? That's not godly. That's not godly humility. Another would be thinking too highly of yourself. Have you ever done that or know somebody who's done that before? There could be people in this room perhaps who have that tendency. Thinking too highly of yourself. Another would be comparing yourself to others. Another would be fear. Another would be controlling those around you, perhaps people in your family or your closest friends trying to control them. Another would be pornography or various forms of sexual perversion. Let me ask you this question. How are you tempted? Not, this is not to make you feel bad or to condemn you. Let me make this clear. Everybody in this room, everybody outside of this room are tempted so you're in good company in fact there's one who i don't know if you can describe him as being in this room or what but jesus the son of god was tempted so how are you tempted because here's the thing we need to be able to identify temptation for what it is and see it for what it is it's not our friend it's not trying to do us any favors identify temptation as what it is when it happens so that we can then know to turn in temptation to Jesus and receive the help that he wants because he wants us to be free from it. You can be free. So let's, let's look at this. Jesus, two reasons. Well, first of all, let me say this. The fact that Jesus was tempted, do you remember that Luke 4 passage that we just read? It said, 40 days being tempted by the devil. Was Jesus tempted by the devil? Thank you, Mickey. Yes, he was. If he was tempted by the devil, that means he was actually tempted. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is Jesus was tempted, and if that, hu- if, if, if that humanity, being the Son of Man, if his humanity wasn't real, he couldn't have actually been tempted. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if Jesus was only deity, there's no way that he could have been tempted because temptation would have had no place on him. It would have been like water on a duck's back. For him to become fully man, he made himself to be able to have temptation and that temptation was real. It wasn't like a alternative temptation. It was the same level of temptation, the same kinds of temptation that you and I experience on a day-to-day basis and if it was impossible for him to sin, it would have been impossible for him to be tempted. Cool? If it were impossible for Jesus to sin, it would have been impossible uh, also for him to be tempted. So he had to go through exactly what you and I go through. So if you'll look with me, Luke chapter eleven forty-six. 46, Jesus was tempted because actually… An empowering leader, which is what Jesus came to be, an empowering leader has to go first. So here's the thing, and I've shared this before, if I were stuck in a ditch and I had no way out and somebody came by to the edge of that ditch and I called out for help and they bent over to leverage their strength reached out their hand and gave me the opportunity to grab onto them so that I could maybe make my way up the side of the wall and get out, would it do me any good just to look up and to thank that person on the edge and to praise them for their willingness to help? Would it actually practically impact my situation? Probably not. What you have to do to receive help from Jesus is actually do just that. Receive help because it's Jesus' lordship in the midst of his situation, in other words, yielding to his leadership that actually leads us into his goodwill. That only makes sense. And so, if you look with me at Luke eleven forty six, 46, as an empowering leader, Jesus had to go first. He said, Woe to you also, experts in the law, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And so he's kind of rebuking the Pharisees for putting on a burden to some people and not being willing to carry it themselves. In other words, Jesus carried the burden that would be, well, I don't want to say places a burden, but he carried the burden. He carried everything already first for us on our behalf. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness." But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so my encouragement to us tonight is this. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Not to say, see, I did it. Why aren't you like me? You should be like me. He did that so that he would go the full extent And be able, on the back end of that, be able to help those who can't do it on their own. And he wouldn't be able to do that unless he fully identified with our actual condition as we are. He had the help of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I do. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, has had the same Holy Spirit, and he does not only love us or accept us if we perfectly follow that Holy Spirit into his victory. His grace accepts us just as we are, and yet it's not to say that just because his grace accepts us, we we don't need to follow him. As we follow him, as we yield to the empowerment of that Holy Spirit, as we receive his help, he actually helps us in our moment of need. So Jesus is approachable, and there's no shame in temptation. And I want you to take that into your week. As inevitably each one of us are tempted, there is no shame in that temptation. You don't need to feel shame. You don't need to feel – this is what, what tends to happen is we, we feel temptation – that temptation lands somewhere in our heart, and it finds a resting spot. It finds a home. It's almost like if you've ever seen a buoy out at sea, and uh, sometimes you'll see, like, gu- seagulls or various birds, and they'll find that place that, uh, to land on that buoy out there. And it's like temptation looks for that buoy in the sea of our heart, and he finds it, and, and it lands there. And we, and we finds that place of, of landing spot in our heart, and once, once that happens, we lose our train of thought. <laughs> what was I saying? Shame. shame. Yes, thank you. The, thank you. Thank you, wife. My, what I was getting at is in that moment, once that temptation finds its resting spot in our heart, usually what happens is we sense shame because we know we want it. We know that there's a part of us that agrees with the temptation, and we want it, and we immediately, with God, feel shame. That right there is where the war happens. If we can realize there is no shame. Now, it also means that we need to identify that temptation that I'm wanting to give myself to isn't my friend. It's not trying to help me. And be willing to turn to God in that place, but know that he's not judging me. He's not you know, tisk tisk tisk, shaking his head again. I can't believe you're still tempted with this thing. He's looking at us saying, I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. I know what that feels like. I've been through it, and I know exactly how to help you. He sticks his hand down in the ditch. That's exactly right. So Jesus is approachable. There is no shame and temptation. Secondarily, Jesus can help you and wants to help you like, as in, that's saying it softly and mildly. He, he is coming into the earth for the explicit purpose of helping us and rescuing us from the enemy of our soul. He is desirous to help us. So, to get through that shame, turn to him for help and receive it. I had a, um, a conversation with a a guy, um, earlier this week. And, uh, he's a kind of a longstanding native of Detroit. And in the context of this conversation, he began to formulate judgments as he found out that I'm a pastor in kind of the Midtown area and immediately, and I, I completely get where he gets this. He immediately began to tell me as the conversation progressed very strongly, uh, his explicit feelings about what I'm a part of and what I'm doing. And essentially, and it, it saying that I must be a part of some government conspiracy to gentrify this area and uh, to move certain people in and other people out. And so in that moment, so all of us have different temptations, correct? One of my temptations, just to be vulnerable and and honest with you, one of my temptations would be to kind of back down and not speak if, if there's a moment where I need to speak. And in that moment, it's like something as I as I was determined, I was determined to take every opportunity as I'm out and about in the city to be a positive influence. And here's a guy that I understand where he's coming from with his perspective, but I also understand that when God started moving on our hearts from South Africa to move across the world to Michigan, Mayor Mike Duggan and, and whoever else weren't involved in that thought process with us. We're not a part of a government conspiracy. I know that this is a bit Uh, Wrong, and so and so. In that moment, I just turned my heart, and and didn't want to back. I wasn't going to back down, even though it was a bit of a you know kind of a confrontational moment. And uh, but immediately, it's like I just knew to go in and to speak and make this thing acknowledge all the messes of Christianity and church and all the stuff that's happened, but to point back to Jesus with the guy. By the end of the conversation, the guy thanked me and said, thank you for chatting. I appreciate that. And, um, and he might even want to pop into the church. He lives in, in kind of my neck of the woods, my area. So what I'm trying to say is in that moment where you're tempted to something that would cause you to miss God's higher will, Jesus is in there and he can and will empower you to help you. So Jesus helps you in temptation. Let me read the scripture. For we do not have a high priest... Um, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. We just read that, but read the next verse along with me. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. So as I said before, the tendency in a moment of temptation, we think that Jesus is unable to, to empathize with our weakness and that he's just standing there lofty and deified and can't actually identify with what we're going through and, and is probably disappointed in us. In the biblical commendation, the biblical instruction is to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now, let me say something about grace. Don't yield to a presentation of grace that does anything other than cause you to run to Jesus to deal with the things that are coming against you. Because there's some who would say, well, I'm under grace and therefore I just kind of do whatever I want. I'm accepted. What does it matter? Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need in other words grace that doesn't only cover us and make us acceptable but empowers us and enables us to come up to a higher place that is what grace does so the tendency is to run from God in shame but the solution actually is to identify that thing and re- return from it and believe place your faith in Jesus very simple formula Mark 1 14, this is where we'll kind of wrap it up if you can turn with me to Mark 1.14, Jesus says this. Such a f- simple formula. Grab a hold of what we're about to read. This one idea that Jesus preached has such huge implication on everything that we do as believers. And I hope you can grab a hold of it. After, it says, after John was delivered up, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What does that have to do with temptation? Jesus' message was this. That which was in the beginning, before sin, before all of those things messed it up, that thing of the kingdom, the perfect will of God, heaven itself, is once again within reach. It is at hand. It's within grasp. And the way to access that which Jesus is bringing and restoring, the kingdom of God, is twofold. Simple, simple, simple. Repent. In other words, identify that which is not the kingdom and turn from it. It does not mean grovel in your self-patheticness and wear sackcloth and ashes and fast for seven days and say, woe is me, I am horrible. It just means simply identify that it's not the kingdom and turn from it. So in the moment that you're, you're tempted with pornography, turn from it in that moment. Identify that it's not the kingdom. In the moment that you're tempted to harbor unforgiveness and when you're tempted to do whatever it is that you may do, simply turn from it and instead of turning to it, believe, place your faith, look to Jesus, believe the good news of the kingdom of heaven that displaces the powers of this earth. Heaven operating in earth, on earth as it is in heaven, in your life. Simple formula. Repent and believe. We think repent's a four-letter word. It's not. It is a medium of salvation into this earth of what God has restored. It is wonderful. It's a gift. The Bible actually calls it the God grants us the grace or the gift of repentance. And so I'm going to ask us right now, as we enter into this upcoming week, how many of you believe, could I ask us to stand even, if you don't mind? If you don't mind. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but at the same time, I just want to make this real, and I found that actually having an actual response to God is, is quite helpful. Could I ask, not before uh, people, not before me, not before whatever, but before God, just to turn the palms of your hand towards heaven in an area of receiving, I mean, in an area of receiving, in a mode of receiving, as a sign of receiving, the palms of your hand towards heaven, if you are prepared right now to receive grace in areas of temptation. Again, we did not say You bad and awful person, how dare you be tempted? You need to receive mercy because you've been tempted. Saying identify areas that would want to trip you up and right now identify them to this Jesus who wants to help you. I encourage you right now to imagine yourself, it's almost like that temptation would be like that ditch I referred to earlier. And that's what temptation does to us. It makes us feel swallowed up because in fact the temptation does in a sense have more power over us than we do sometimes. But the one who has power over that temptation is right at the edge there and he is fully able to reach in, grab your hand and pull you onto the solid ground standing with him, reigning over that area of temptation being placed under under your feet and under his feet. But it begins with repenting. It begins with believing. Again, we're not saying repent in the sense of groveling in our pity of how horrible we are. It's simply recognizing that which is not God so that we can receive from God what is of God. So just open up your palms and confess to him that area and, and come boldly to his throne right now to receive mercy but also grace to help you